Happy Monday to you all. We're on the Life and Ball podcast, special podcast today. It'll be a lot of fun, a lot different as well. I got Tyler Hayward from Trouble with the Snap podcast with me. Uh, we usually go on our other platform, but today we're going to uh, talk uh, just an exciting, exciting topic, and that's the Chicago Bulls dynasty. And uh, really, with we're, you know, we're six days away from the uh, the premiere of the 10-part series that's uh, The Last Dance, that's the basically highlighting the Chicago Bulls last championship season and we can't wait you know Tyler and I have talked about this for a few weeks so we're excited about bringing this to your attention and and some of our personal feelings and thoughts on that uh, organization that season Uh, I'm going to start and let you go Tyler Uh, first first thing is you know as much as we like to get political and we have our beliefs and we have our views uh, I I do think ESPN deserves a little credit and and I I know this surprise, surprise, Tyler, me saying that because clearly I have my issues with ESPN. Uh, but I think you know, look, you know, you gotta give them credit. This is this is a good time. They they came through in the clutch. Uh, I think they obviously listened to a lot of people. I think that they probably seen all the posts on Twitter and and all over social media outlets and said, okay, we got to do something about this. Uh, this is a tough time, unprecedented time with COVID nineteen. But, but Tyler, I think ESPN did a good job here. I mean, I think that they came through. We need this. Sports fans need this. And I think that people are really going to learn a lot uh, about this last season. Yeah, and uh, I absolutely love the fact that they're bringing it early. Um, obviously, this wasn't supposed to be released until after the season. But I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about the opportunity you know, and we're going to discuss this over the next few weeks. I think we're doing this every Monday is our intention to, you know, recap kind of what we saw, get our uh, thoughts and feelings on that. And um, I'm sure you can do that with other platforms as well. But look, we hold this group in such reverence, me and Jeremy do, as that was the team, uh, you know, that was winning championships when we first started uh, getting serious about basketball. And so I think that, you know, this is going to be just phenomenal to see so much. Look, there's going to be a lot of dirt that I'm sure people have heard about that people haven't heard about. Look, this is the greatest team ever assembled. 6'6 or taller in their starting lineup. Uh, Converted a 20-point-a-game scorer as as a defensive stopper. You know, three of the best defensive players in history. Um, Just just an incredible incredible group and you know look i can't wait to dig into this (laughs) no i I think it's a really good time this is why i i brought up the espn thing first is i we can't not escape what we're dealing with right now i mean this is one of those deals where i i just thought about this the other day and i said to myself you know i'm surprised and shocked believe it or not how many people um, are bringing up so many past games and past sporting events. And it's actually been really special. You know, it's been special to watch all these old games, whether, you know, we're bringing up Michigan or Michigan State stuff or, or we're throwing old NBA games out there um, or we're talking about old players or we're we're talking about even local stuff, you know, local teams, you know, our high school or, or our colleges that we attended. It's just been a really crazy time, and you kind of learn from it. Like, wow, the sports is very important, to people. I mean, it just is. It's 
it's an important part of people's lives. It always will be. And that's why we do the show. If it wasn't important, we would we wouldn't care as much. And it just people care and they really care about this team. I mean, they really care about the Bulls. This was the beginning. You know, you know, it's almost like taking you back to our childhood, really. I mean, it's 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 one thing to to really like a player or like a team, but this was like, you know, this was different. You know, this was different. This Bulls team and this organization—they were almost bigger than the game. You know, you had Rodman with the crazy hair. You had Jordan, who was just bigger than life almost. You had you had Phil Jackson, you know, the iconic coach. You had a guy like Scottie Pippen, the the Robin to the the Batman. Uh, you know, and it was just well, a lot of well, stories. Himself, I mean, those Bulls teams without Jordan still won fifty games a year. So, <laughs> sure, you know, they were they were a great organization. And, and, well, and then also you throw in the fact, like, obviously, it's not the same as it is today with guys like Dirk and Doncic, and you know, even uh, Leandro Barbosa type players. You know, you had the best foreign player at the time in Tony Kukoc. You have. The best three-point shooter in the history of the game, percentage-wise, of course, still to this day in Steve Kerr. You know, and then you had Rodman. You had these role players that just knew how to do their jobs. And it was, like, it was an incredible team. But like I said, you know, there's going to be a little something extra we're going to learn about this. Because, look, everyone knows about Jerry Krause and uh, Jordan and Pippen's little rivalry with him especially in regards to the Ku coach signing. I'm, I think fingers have been pointed uh, as far as public opinion goes at Jerry Krause uh, in regards to maybe breaking it up a year or two early. Um, obviously, you have Michael Jordan's history of hauling off on players. Steve Kerr, one of them. It's yeah. like th- there's going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe we did not fully understand i think i mean you think about everything that happened that got out before social media now the social media the big thing like you know what if it was present back then what would we see what would we hear and you're gonna be like god how did they win 72 one year and then 69 games the next like that should never happen with you know maybe how dysfunctional that team could have been yeah i think what you're gonna I think we'll find some new things. I think a lot of it will be somewhat similar. It will be interesting for us when we, you know, go over every weekend, how much of the new information we got, you know, because when you're a fan of the team and you're a fan of Jordan, there's just not a whole lot of things you don't know about Jordan. There's actually an interesting documentary. Um, It's a short one. And I don't know the full name, but it basically highlights the 1988 Bulls team. And, uh, you know, I'll have to look it up and I'll probably post it, you know, after I send, you know, post this out there for everyone. It really breaks down you know, a lot of different things with Jordan, you know, how Jordan was actually uh, a lot more fun loving than people realize or a lot more goofy. Uh, it kind of really highlighted how insane his life was, though, about every time they went somewhere, you know, security was all around him every single game. I think you'll probably see that a little bit. In the, in the last dance where Jordan's life was really crazy. I mean, for him to go anywhere, uh, to any hotel, you know, people were losing their minds over him, you know, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was almost like he's going to a concert every night. You know, that's pretty much what it was for Michael Jordan. I, I think you're going to see a little bit of that. I think you're going to see a little bit of that where just how intense it was for him. Um, 
and I think what you're also seeing with this, that I think it will probably make it probably makes Tyler excited, makes me excited, is how many people want to talk about it. I mean, you, you know, you've seen Obama up there, you've seen Oprah Winfrey, you've seen uh, you know Pat Riley. You know when they when they had the little preview. I mean, obviously all the players. You know Rodman's going to say a whole lot, I'm sure. Uh, but there's just a lot of different people that wanted to talk about that team that had nothing to do with the team in, in itself. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that part, Tyler, to be honest. Yeah, and I'm, I'm intrigued by that. But, I mean, like I said, it's, it's the behind-the-scenes stuff that, you know, we did not realize that's really going to pique my interest in this because, I mean, not to, you know, discredit some of the names and the celebrities uh, people that are going to be talking about it because look, Obama is from Chicago. Oprah is from Chicago. Like the, right. They obviously had a little more stake in it but look, as far as what happened with that team, you know, I could probably tell you just as much as Obama. No disrespect in that aspect, but Sure. It, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I'm a fan. He's a fan. That is what he is. Now, I'm sure he probably, you know, if he hit up the links with Jordan, could probably tell me a little bit more in that regard. But look, that behind the scenes stuff is what's r- really got my eye. Yeah, and no, I hope they show a lot of practice footage. I hope that's the one. That's the one thing that no one's really talking about, which is surprising. I, I really hope that there's some things we see in practice because I'm. You know, you've been a part of great practices. I mean, you know, and I'm even going to mention our high school team a little bit because I think this is, even though it's nowhere near comparison, I get that. But you get my point. When you're part of a winning team, whether it's intramural, high school, college, you know, there's something special about a winning team. There's also usually something extra with a winning team. Um, I want to see the practices. I want to see what happens on that end. Are they going to show a lot of footage of practices? I want to see if they're going to show some some breakdown in the locker room as far as, you know, whether was there some animosity? Um, you know, the, the next thing I want to talk about is I mentioned to Tyler earlier about this. Scotty Pippen was the big thing. You know, Pippen was underpaid a lot, you know, pretty much most of his career with Chicago, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I don't think the typical person doesn't realize is, is that, that he was underpaid. Um, and I, and I want to know, you know, there's a clip where Jordan says in the preview, you know, Scotty was being selfish. And I want to know, you know, we're going to break that part down. Are they going to mention a lot about how Scottie Pippen didn't want to be there? And I, I, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that that probably will be very up in, up in front and up in center during this 10-part series. Yeah, and I, I, here's my thing with that is we don't know the context yet. Yeah. We we don't know the context because if he's out there and he's, oh, he was being selfish, he wanted the ball this much more even though, you know, he was – I mean, he did his job, but he was still pretty much useless for that last Utah series. Um, yeah. But was he being selfish in regards that he wanted more money? And is Jordan going to follow that up with saying, oh, he had every right to be? Yeah. And, you know, we don't know the context in that. And obviously that's something that we are going to discuss. But, yeah, he, he got screwed over plenty of times by Jerry Krause and that Bulls organization. And, um, look, I'm surprised he didn't. Uh, you know, mention wanting out, but I mean, he's. I saw him on the jump. Um, I don't know how long ago this was recorded. You know, uh, like Jeremy said, we're all going back. We're looking at old stuff, and we're looking at this and that. And I saw an interview with uh, him and Dennis Rodman on ESPN's The Jump, and uh, he was talking about how 
you know what? It, maybe it did end too early. You know, maybe we could have got. He goes, we could have got at least two more. Yeah. And I mean, that was a conversation you and I had. You know, if Jordan doesn't retire early, if Kraus doesn't blow the whole thing up, you know, this is a nine, ten championship team. I mean, not. Oh, not yeah, I mean, maybe with like the, at least the core. You know, the two big guys, and obviously you had uh, an interchangeable Rodman and Grant. I would have been really interested to see um, the next two years because let's let's be honest the, the next year San Antonio I think they would have beat that San Antonio team I really oh, yeah. do I think they were better than them uh, but the next year they would they would have the Lakers and I think that would have been a really tough series for Chicago being at the end of their run there uh, you know and Shaq was as, as dominant as ever at that time and, and Kobe was really coming into his own. And they were loaded. And, and, and the other thing you got to realize is, is Indiana was really getting better, and so was New York, where New York obviously made their push, and Miami was getting better. So I, I think that it would have been really interesting to see them continue to push forward, right? I mean, it, it would have been kind of cool. But the last thing I want to say is I just can't – I mean, wow, the Lakers Bulls, that would have been so spectacular to be able to see Michael in 2000. You know, they would have had to beat the Pacers, but the Pacers were so good. I mean, people don't realize, you know, I think when we have these discussions of eras and we always have these arguments, people don't realize just how good that Indiana Pacers team was. And, and it took look, everything. Look, 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 to, look, let's uh, break it down. They had the lead in the Game 7. <laughs> yeah. Pacers team yeah. had a lead against Chicago in the Game 7. They, I mean, not many teams can say that because not many teams pushed Chicago to a Game 7. I think it was them and New York did it once. And yeah. that, I mean, yeah. that's the extent of it. Nobody else pushed them. Nobody else pushed them. And that's crazy when you think about it. You know, we talk, especially in 98, which is uh, obviously the years that the year that is being focused on in this documentary, because it was so widely publicized that this era was coming to an end. And so that's what ultimately they were like, oh, you know, this is coming to an end. Let's just record whatever we can. And, uh, God, it feels like we're getting shorted that there's only 10 hours of this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I think there's so much that the, the problem with but, it is, this is what's going to be interesting, but, not talking about just the team. Let me let me add this real quick, and I'll let you touch on what you're just saying. How can you do more, though? I mean, I guess, you know, before you finish that, answer that question, how could you really give more when they've already given so much? I, in all honesty, I don't know. I just know I'm going to want more. <laughs> And yeah. that's ultimately where it lies. But yeah, look, the Pacers and the Knicks both forced Chicago to game sevens, but Scottie Pippen wasn't Scottie Pippen. And, you know, even Stockton, Malone, and Hornacek, that's a really good basketball team. And it's really underrated um, in part because they never did win the championship, but that is also because of the Bulls. And look, Scottie Pippen wasn't at 100%. You know, they had wing players that were out. And, missing some time too and it's just unbelievable to just think about you know maybe if they had a year off because 99 that was a strike shortened season they would have a break yeah, yeah they, they would have had a little bit of a breather you only played 50 yeah, games they, that year yeah, they've been absolutely fine i mean the way ku coach was stepping up and the way uh you know rodman was still doing great things as a role player. Michael was still clearly ready to continue to go. And in 99, uh, yeah, Ron Harper was able to average double digits without Jordan and Pippen. 
I'd have to look back. I'm trying to think who they drafted that year. Uh, was Ron Artest? He was. Was he that year? Because they would have. <sighs> you know, if, if Micah. You know, I, I'd have to look back. I'm almost positive Ron Artest. I uh, was drafted the next year. I know year. in 2000. Oh God, I don't. I don't remember 99. It. Ron Mercer. It might have been Mercer. It might have been Ron. Uh, I, it may may have been Mercer. I know 2000 was Khalid Alamine and Marcus Pfizer. You know what? I don't think. I think it was Artest because they look. There's a clip of Jordan when he's playing uh, against them one on one, and they made all these trades. You know, they got Hershey Hawkins somehow. They had Ron Artest, and um, you know, it, it was crazy. I think Ron Artest was the guy that uh, you know. We'll have to look that up. And uh, I'm going to see if I can do that right now while we're on. But, yeah, I think 99, I'm almost positive that uh, Ron Artest was drafted by the Bulls. And uh, I'm going to look that up. You keep trying to figure this out. So, 1999, Ron Artest was drafted. Yeah. Uh, round one, pick 16. So, so let's just be honest here. Uh, yeah, they had a good player joining them. Maybe kept. Uh, it, might, it might have made them be open to to trade Rodman it might have because he was the same type of player but more skilled offensively it might have said you know what see a Scotty you know you can go there might have been a lot of things that could have happened there where Jordan says let's keep going we got Ron Artest we still got Ron Harper Tony Kukoc uh, maybe they moved a couple Look, other guys Scotty would have been there though if Jordan were there yeah I can't imagine them not playing the same team for the Bulls I really can't yeah so but yeah that's still a team where Look, you made some moves, and you have the ability to do some things. And look, all those guys still could have fit into the roles. But I, I mean, I would have loved to have seen that in 2000, seeing Shaq versus Dennis Rodman. I would have yeah, absolutely I, loved it. Oh I mean, yeah, it would have been awesome. I mean, Dennis played some years later, so it wasn't like you know he was. Yeah, he really... he played with Dallas, and he played with LA for a little bit, so. Yeah, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, he did. He did, you know, you know, he actually played in the International Basketball League, the league I played in, which was kind of funny. He played in the West Coast. <laughs> I think he played for the Bellingham Slam or something. I'm pretty sure I had to look that up, too. But no, I'm just excited, man. I mean, I'm really excited for this. You know, I was a diehard Jordan fan and Bulls fan. I mean, I just uh, love this team. It's one of those teams where there's not a whole lot of times in sports when you just feel this crazy feeling about the team or the player you know and that's kind of what Jordan was for me was Jordan was just like every game you know I wanted him to get 30 you know it was just like I, I wanted to see him excel every single night I wanted the Bulls to win every year and uh you know that was basically it I mean I never wanted them to ever lose a game you know it, the, the thing that makes them different though Tyler is I think it makes them different even than anything now is just how much bigger they are than the sport I mean Jordan was bigger than the game. We know that. But I think that the whole team was just bigger than anything that anyone's ever seen before. I mean, the way that people are following them around. And, you know, we don't see that now. And I think that partly because of social media, we don't have to uh, be as... You can follow it from afar. Right. But I still think that there isn't the attitude that's the same with, with like, there's... the, the People don't love LeBron like they love Jordan. That that's not a knock on LeBron. That just shows you how big Jordan is. People don't, mm-hmm. you know, people didn't love anyone the, the way they love Jordan as a player in basketball. Look, Jordan shoes are still outselling LeBron shoes. Let's just put it like that. How many times? Yeah. How many? How in the world? I mean, I want to know in when LeBron James retires if he ever does, uh, which you know I hope's tomorrow. Um, you know, how many 
years will it take for him to still like will he be that iconic he may be i mean we don't know i mean lebron james still may be 10 15 years from now iconic i don't know he's just not like jordan you know it's just a big difference yeah, and I mean, you, you were talking about what you loved about that team, and I just want to touch on this. But I want just the roles that they played, the roles that these guys played, and, and um, you know, S- Scotty took over was the leader of that team. You know, they still won fifty games, like they just all bought in. Rodman knew he wasn't there to score points; he knew he was there to get fifteen rebounds a game, sixteen rebounds a game. But what mm, Ron Harper? deserves a lot more love than he gets on this team because before he came to Chicago, dude was averaging 19.3 points a game. Yeah, when he, he was, was when he was with the Clippers, when he was with Cleveland, he was averaging 19 points a game. He comes to Chicago, he doesn't score double digits. He he averaged like eight a game, I think, or around that vicinity. Like he took the L and he was the uh he was just the point guard stopper. He wasn't even really the point guard because, let's face it, Scottie Pippen was the first r- real true point forward in the NBA. Yeah. And so how he changed his role because he was a point in the two in Cleveland and point two, he was a combo guard in, for the Clippers. And he he changed his role to just go out there and you know, play defense. He wasn't. He wasn't involved with the offense. He wasn't. Ru- he wasn't running it like Pippen was. He wasn't the focal point like Jordan was. He was just there, and uh, he he just took on that much lesser role because I feel like he may have potentially been an all star. Oh, he was a great talent. He, he had a lot of injuries towards the end there, where he was really banged up, and and we'll talk more about that. I'm sure after the first week. Um, but no, Ron Harper was huge for that team. And when you have three guys, six, six, um, you know, you got a guy in the ball. I always mention this. You got Harper on the ball and you got Jordan and Pippen on the wing. I mean, talk about uh, good luck going against that. Ron Harper was a fantastic defender, really, really put on pressure on, on all the point guards that could guard multiple positions. Very much huge key piece to that championship run with the Bulls in their uh, second three piece because um, he was a part of all three. And, and honestly, if you look back at their first year, I don't want to talk too much about the other years, but his first championship season with them, I mean, he was hurt against the Sonics a lot, and he sat out some games, and once he came back, they looked that much better. So, I mean, he was a huge piece, so you're absolutely right. The other pieces that were interesting to me that, you know, well, I'm sure will get a lot of love. I do think the role players have always gotten treated the right way, you know, years later. Um, you know, the guys like Bill Wennington, who is actually still uh, on the broadcast for the Bulls telecast, um, with Chuck Swirsky, um, you know, he's a huge part of that organization still. You know, he was a big off the bench that did well. You know, you look at Steve Kerr, obviously, hitting shots for them, hit the big shot the year before uh, the last season. Um, you know, guys like Scotty Burrell, who you people would forget about, who came in the, at the end there. Uh, Jason you know, Caffey. Yeah, Jason Caffey was huge. I, I, don't, I have to look fully back because they did have some movement there. Um, you know, guys like Robert Parrish were on the team for a season. Uh, John I think Valley. he was 97, yeah. 96, 97. Yeah, was. Former bad boys, you know, James Edwards was on the Bulls. Uh, yeah. You know, he had, a, he had a piece there in 97. Uh, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was 98. Uh, they had no. some movement. Dickie Simpkins was around. I think he might have got moved as well. I'm going to have, we're going to have to really look this more into that part because these are guys that normally we wouldn't talk about right but these are guys that were a huge piece judd bushler definitely was a huge piece uh tony kukoc at the end 
was starting a lot. People forgot that at the end well, of that last series, Dennis Rodman did not start. You know, the last game, Tony Kukard, coach, uh, two coach, started that game. And well, uh, even, even when he wasn't starting, you know, he, he was one of the last five out there. You know, game comes down to the wire at the end of it. It wasn't Luke Longley out there with Rodman, Pippen, Jordan. Yeah. Harper Kerr offense defense uh, that Phil Jackson ran. It was Kukoc. Yeah, there was moments for sure where Kukoc was out on the floor when they played small ball. They called it, even though they really weren't small at all. But it was just a way, you know. You <laughs> had six, a, a, six, yeah, six, you, eight, you know, six, eleven. <laughs> now you got a six, eleven guy like Kukoc. I mean, that's almost like a center, but he was a forward. Um, you know, really a small forward. But, you know, they were just fantastic. Kukoc was huge in that last game. I mean, I watched the, uh, I've rewatched that game six plenty of times, and, and that will be the thing that is fun to watch towards the end. I hope they don't show it. Uh, it has to be the last thing they show. I, I'm sure they'll do it right. I mean, it seems like anything that's ever been produced by the Bulls is really outstanding work. I mean, if you watch the old Chicago Bulls championship series, uh, you know, I had all the tapes, uh, Unstoppables. Um, you know, they, yeah, I mean, it, the, yeah. they're all great. They're all, they all lead you up their suspense and they're all really good. And I'm sure that this would be the same way, but I, I, what you guys will see, and I won't talk too much about it. Cause I really want this to be a, uh, it's almost like a, a 10 part series ourselves on the lab here. Um, the last game Five you're going to see, a, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to see a lot of Tony Kukoc that last game. He was fantastic. And you're also going to see a lot of him, you know, in that Indiana series. He was unbelievable. Um, so he was huge. And, and I think that from my a personal opinion is, is I really think in my heart here, Tyler, we're going to talk about this. I think they didn't care if Scotty left. I really think if Kraus and them, Michael did. I mean, the players did. The players wanted Scotty. But I really think that the organization felt like we don't need Scottie Pippen to win a championship. I really feel that way. I feel like they knew that Tony was playing so well. They knew they had all these great role players, and they knew they could get a lot for Scottie Pippen. So I really think that their mentality was, we don't need to pay him that much. I mean, we're going to get rid of him, and we're going to probably gain a lot. And, you know, I think they felt that way. I mean, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, maybe I think that's well, part of it. To the Dream Team documentary uh, that ESPN did a few years ago. Yeah. And I mean, you hear Jordan Pippen talking about Tony Kukoc, and well, there was some animosity there. Ultimately, just because Pippen wanted a contract extension or wanted a little bit more money, deserved a little bit more money, and yeah. uh, Kraus said no because they wanted this foreign hotshot. Who, by the way, uh, that first Dream Team game only scored four points. Uh, yeah. I actually watched it yesterday just to like re-clarify the hype in regards to Jordan and Pippen talking about how they were like, you know what, we're going to just go and we're going to just beat the crap out of number seven. And look, it was every bit as Jordan and Pippen remembered. They went out there and they beat the crap out of number seven. And, yeah. uh, you know, had him, I think he mentions and I think Kukoc mentions in the documentary even how, Look, he questioned even wanting to come overseas to play with the Bulls. And but Kraus always showed a little bit more uh, nepotism towards Kukoc by, you know, Jordan Pippen's accounts. And we'll see that. Look, he was a key part to that. He he was one of the better six men in the NBA. And like I said, he was the best foreign player at the time in the league too. 
And I mean, you could probably make a case for Detlef Schrempf, but these guys, like, they they remember vividly uh, Tony Kukoc getting the edge over Pippen when it came to any sort of negotiations with Jerry Krause. And I, like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, I want I, that. That's what I want to see. I want to see if there's more details there, you know, that maybe we're missing. Maybe, you know, maybe something happened prior to Pippen's contract negotiations that made Kraus kind of turn his nose up at Pippen and start leaning towards Croatia. But that—that's what, like I said, that's what I'm interested in seeing is the stuff behind the scenes because I think it was very soap opera-ish like in regards to all the issues that they had and it's going to be really interesting to see you know did Kraus favor Kukoc rightfully so I I mean I don't think he did I don't think that that's going to end up being the case I don't think my opinion is going to change on it are Jordan and Pippen going to cry about (laughs) a little bit of documentary and that's the type of stuff that I think makes this so intriguing is because everybody already knows that there was this drama and everybody already knows the situation with Pippen and Kukoc and Kraus and Phil and Kraus and Jordan and everything else and look think about this for a second I I, I just thought about this it's just if Michael Jordan could have ran the Bulls like LeBron runs his teams today Uh, they never would have lost ever I mean, <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. I mean, LeBron picks his own team; he still can't win. And and Michael, if he if he would have been able to pick his team, he would have kept Scotty, would have kept Dennis, and then he probably would have added. He probably would have called know, Charles Barkley. <laughs> uh, yeah, he would have probably said, "Hey, Charles, you're getting old. You know, you're fat and slow, but you know, let's win a championship. I'm tired of you not having a ring, and you're going to get made fun of your whole life." So, yeah, I mean, uh, Michael would have grabbed a few guys, and he might have got. <laughs> you're going to be told by Draymond Green of all people, you can't sit at the big boy table. Yeah, you know exactly. You know you're gonna, you know, and Michael's the reason why you can't. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, that Suns team that the Bulls beat in '93 was fantastic. Go, go um, look at Barkley's stats from that year in that NBA Finals. If Michael was great. did not show out with like 40 points a game, Charles Barkley would have won MVP even if the Suns still lost. Like he, oh, yeah. was that dominant of a player, and he was really underrated. I mean, absolutely dominated Pippen inside in that series. If you guys watch the old, you know, old games, you know, he, he absolutely was a physical force. Scotty couldn't handle him inside. Um, and, and they had a battle in there. I mean, Pippen, Pippen was really great at the beginning run. And he was huge in that, those, those first two uh, titles, beating the Sonics and the Jazz in the second three-peat. The last year, you'll, you'll find out and you'll see this a lot, is Scotty was really injured. I mean, he was banged up. I think he missed... Um, you know, almost half the regular season, if, if not more. I think he missed 40 games, 30 or 40 games. I don't think he even played at, uh, during the, the stretch part of the uh, All-Star. The, I think All-Star break right after his when he came back. So I'd have to be, I'd have to look back, but Scotty was really banged up. I think he missed 33 games at the beginning of the 98 season. I, you know, these are things that we're going to find out more about. I mean, it's so long ago now and, and, uh, you know, most of the stuff that I do when I talk about the Bulls, I don't have to research it, but those are little things I'd have to look back up. I know this team. I know this organization. I know the players. Um, I was not only a fan, but, you know, a basketball enthusiast. And the one thing I'll tell you about that last season was 
Michael Jordan was absolutely unbelievable that last year. I mean, he was playing like he was nowhere near being done. Um, he he led that team to 60-plus wins. Um, you know, they were the second-best record in the NBA. They did, had no business being that with considering what they had. Scotty didn't play at all at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, for him to win that many games in the regular season, then for him to basically win game six by himself, besides Tony Kukoc coming in and playing well. Dennis, I mean, Dennis worked his tail off, but he gives you zero on offense. Uh, Kukoc played fantastic, but Scotty was really playing on, you know, not even, you know, a half of a back. I mean, he couldn't even run up the court at the time. And there was a lot of other games in that series that he struggled. Um, but, but, I mean, it just tells you as much as the role players were so important and much as Scotty was so important because he was, and, and you don't win championships without those guys, Michael was just so good. I mean, it was just one of those deals where you watch and, and you're in awe of how many big moments that one player could have in just one final series. Well, yeah, um, he scored know, the last six points of that series, a uh, couple free throws, and then got a quick... Uh... They tried to do a quick two-for-one, and he got the layup. Then he came down, he stripped Carl Malone, then he got the game. Like, that's all in, like, a two-minute window. Yeah, I mean, you look at the last minute there. You know, their down three comes down, and, you know, he gets the quick layup, you know, and then obviously uh, they come down, and he gets the steal, and then he hits the last shot. I mean, those are just, like, it's just so quick, but it's – the amazing thing about that shot he hit before the last one, Tyler, is the just how tough the shot was. I mean, just how incredibly difficult the oh, shot the, was. The, the angle of the layup and how quick he was uh, trying I mean, to get that off. I mean, that was something that I looked at again, and that was just... <laughs> I don't think that young fans of basketball, and especially people that, that didn't follow Jordan like we did live. We followed, followed it live, so we were just like in awe of all the moments that you've seen in live action, right? Where you couldn't rewind, you couldn't do anything. You had to watch it and be really focused. Which I'm so glad we grew up in that era. But number one, it was like you didn't want to miss a second because if you missed a second, you might have missed one of the greatest moments you've ever seen. And that's just what Michael Jordan was. And and I think young kids will realize not only about the moments, but the practices and just how intense he was and just how uh, intense that this organization was, just how good the coaching was. Um, just how big it was with media. There was a lot. Of, I mean, you know, Steve Kerr mentioned it, Tyler, about there was always a new article about him. There was always a new thing in the paper. We don't remember those things, right? But they do. The, the players know that there was a new article written about him every single day, and it was always some some drama, you know, about is Dennis Rodman going to be there? Where did he go? Oh, I heard he went to Vegas and got drunk. And, you know, we're, <laughs> we're going to find out a lot about this. Yeah, it's... Like, like I said, that that's the part I'm looking forward to the most. That's the part that I think is most intriguing. Other than the fact that, you know, you you can still win and you can still win a lot uh, with all that crap going on. That This team is going to, look, it, it's going to turn some people who, you know, sit there and hold it in reverence, like maybe not to the extent that you and I do, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to get some people who, like, Oh, Jordan's the best ever. You know, that Bulls team was so good. It's going to get those people maybe second-guessing themselves a little bit. And, well, they're going to have every right to second-guess it because, look, there's going to be times where Michael Jordan comes off like a dick. Oh, sure. It, I, mean, I think that's what made him who he was. Well, yeah, and Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen said, because uh, I saw him in an interview where 
they were talking about him punching Steve Kerr in the face, and Pippen was like, that was just Mike. He goes, he, he knew if you couldn't handle him in practice, you couldn't handle playing in the league. And yeah. it's like Steve Kerr, like I said, not Ray Allen, not Steph Curry, not Seth Curry. Like, not even Duncan Robinson after half of a year, because I know that all those guys are up there. You know, those guys aren't sniffing around what Steve Kerr was shooting from the three-point line still. <laughs> yeah, I would take a punch in the face from Jordan. Just give me those six rings, man. I mean, here's my face. Rearrange my nose. I don't well, care. Well, you, you, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you remember the post-game celebration of Game 6. Oh, yeah. The, the, the video, the Titan shot of Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan hugging. Yeah, you remember the audio? Oh, I think it was. Uh, I think basically Steve Kerr says, "Michael, I fucking love you." I think that was basically what he said. You're unbelievable. <laughs> You're effing unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and this yeah, is yeah. this is a guy you oh, clocked I, I earlier in the year. Yeah. yeah. You're fucking unbelievable. Hit me in the face again. You know, I mean, that's pretty much you know like, Steve <laughs> Kerr. You know, come on. Well, let's just be honest. This guy would take a punch in the face tomorrow if he could win another ring with Michael. I mean, I think it, what it does for me, because I was a diehard Jordan guy. Like, I was very competitive, but that just shows you, like, I mean, I was really Didn't you rip off the pregame puddle when we were in middle school? I, you know, that you, you're taking me far too. No, 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 no. Because no. I, I, I remember this because you were in eighth grade and I was in seventh grade. And we stole it from you guys. The whole what I'm time sure. is it? Oh yeah, we 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 use that uh, when we were kids. You know, it's so funny. That this this will bring you guys back, and this is the type of you know, like these kids do it now for their heroes. It's it's never going to change. You know, people do things like LeBron does, and you know, Michael Jordan was obviously that that guy for us. So when we were in fifth grade, you know, it it was the yeah, you know, what time is it? Game time. Ooh, you know, we used to do that. And, uh, that was definitely started by me. I mean, it was just, you know, you, you, I looked up to that team and said, you know, if, if, if you want to be a great basketball player, you got to be like Jordan. If you want to be a great team, you got to be like the Bulls. And I mean, that's just what it was. And I'm sure kids feel that way about, you know, the Warriors when they were winning or they want to be like LeBron. Hey, if you want to be great and not win a championship, you should be want to be like LeBron. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I have to give my digs. Look, this is this is how I stand with. You know, we're competitive sports people. You're never supposed to be like, hey, yay, I hope the other team wins. I mean, this is just how it is. You know, I'm a Jordan Bulls guy. I don't want LeBron to do well. That's just who I am. And and I think that people are going to, if you hate Michael Jordan and you hated the Bulls, you're going to love this still, though. That's what makes them so great, Tyler, is even though you hate Jordan. Because there's a lot of people to do still. Don't. It's not like everybody loves Jordan and loves the Bulls. A lot right, of people hate right. it. And like so I said, there's reasons find... you probably are going to find out in this documentary. Hey, look. Yeah, he deserved to be hated a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you hated them because they were winning. But the one thing that people always talk about when they talk about LeBron, right? That you're going to have to respect his greatness. Nobody's ever going to respect greatness more than you respect the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. I'm sorry. It's just not going to yeah, happen because, great. because, you know, because Jordan was winning playing on, with the flu. When, when what we remember is LeBron choking against the Mavericks. We remind, we remind ourselves of LeBron getting cramped. Jason Terry, yeah. 31 years old, yeah. just blowing yeah. by LeBron. You know, and, and it's like, look, it's, this is what I always encourage people to I, I like to tell it straight up how it is. Michael Jordan is, you're not going to like him, you know, like 
he's not even the nicest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just don't have those moments. You know, you have one moment in Michael Jordan's career when he played bad and they lost. And it was the Orlando Magic when he came back. Yep. And he was not the best player in the floor. And, you know, Shaq and Penny were. And Scotty was better. Even it, and Scotty was still better. And that was the one moment you can look at when Jordan came in three quarters of into the season and not prepared at all to play professional basketball at the highest level. Nope. And still had some great moments, mind you, having 55-point games and all of that. But that was the time when Jordan didn't look great. And he deserves to get that. Like, yeah, you weren't the great one there, you know? So <clears throat> when we look at LeBron and we look at those championship teams and we look at what we've seen with the Warriors, um, it, the closest thing we've ever seen to the Bulls, let's be honest, is the Golden State Warriors. I mean, it just mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't built. It just wasn't built the way the Bulls were. You know, it just wasn't. You didn't have two stars. I mean, it was at first, to be honest, with Clay, Draymond, and, and Steph. Uh, Steph. That was that was Bulls-like. Yeah. You know, you get the coach you want, Steve Kerr, who played for the Bulls. But when you add KD, it, it just puts a little different twist on it. But anyway, my point is, we just have never seen anything like the Bulls and like Jordan. And I don't know if we ever will. And and I think that this this 10-part series will show a lot of that. But I think there's going to be a lot of people that, that hate it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to, they don't like Jordan. You know, and talk talk about that. We got you know how much time do you got here, Tyler? We we got a little. Uh, time, I got I about five ten minutes before I got to get back to work. All right, yeah. So let's let's finish this off strong. You know, you're about to go back to work, and we're excited about this. Your thoughts on that, like legacy talk? You know, like hmm. would you? What do you think? I mean, are they the greatest dynasty ever, or is there an argument there? I think the only argument you can make is Bill Russell won eight in a row, and um, my but my thing is is. Well, the Bulls would have if Jordan stayed. And yeah. so I don't think that there is much of an argument. I think it is the Chicago Bulls. I think Michael Jordan is the best player ever. And like I said, you know, Ron Harper could score 20 a game. And he did that his career until he got to Chicago and had to defer to Jordan, to Pippen, to even Tony Kukoc. And yeah. uh, I think that, uh, I mean, even then, uh, Ron Harper, you know, he only averaged single digits over those uh, three championship seasons. But the following the following year, in 1999, he went back up and he averaged 12 points a game. Like, these guys, I feel like, individually maybe had a little bit more talent than uh, what a lot of people are uh, putting them on. But, you know... Ron Harper gets overlooked all the time because of Kukoc even and because of Rodman, obviously, and Pippen and Jordan, you know, the three Hall of Famers. And I feel like, you know, maybe there was a little bit more there. It's it's not much different than what you see LeBron do with whoever the third guy on his team is, whether it be a Kuzma or a Kevin Love or a Chris Bosh, where their careers just completely die because of him I mean but the only difference is, is these guys are still superstars Ron Star was Ron Harper was a budding star and uh, I think yeah. that 
like Jordan sat there and he got everybody else involved and he made everybody else better. But look, when you demand the ball as much as Jordan, there's going to be a time when others' numbers drop. Harper still did his job defensively. And there's other times where you see a guy, like I, like I mentioned with Kevin Love, just fall off the face of the earth because of LeBron. Yeah. And so I think the way everything's ran through Jordan, but at the same time, he still made everybody a little bit better. You know, Harper wasn't a defensive player when, when he got to Chicago. That was a role he had to take. And it helps when you have two of three of the best defensive players in the history of basketball and Rodman, Pippen, and Jordan on your team. And so, yeah. you know, you can become a better defender in that aspect because you're guarding worse competition. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. But look, that, that team's the best team ever. Uh, the 90, uh, the 96, 97 area, 97, 98. Uh, that second three peat, that group will, I mean, they haven't been touched yet. And I don't know. No. I mean, even the Warriors have won a ton. I don't think that they would have stood a chance against the Chicago team because, well, as good of a defender as Draymond Green is, I feel like a guy like Dennis Rodman can get in his head. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I think the Lakers first, their Lakers three peat would be a good comparison of, of you know, they were right there. Um, you know, they, right, but, they just but then didn't... then the question becomes: Once you find a team that can compete with the three P, like the Warriors or like the Lakers, can you do it over the length of time that Chicago did with the eight years? Because look, they were still right. going to the Eastern Conference Finals without Mike. Right, exactly. Well, I think what it does also is what what hurts the Lakers three P. It's probably not fair. Is just them getting waxed by the Pistons in their fourth year. I think that's what the five game sweep. Make... Yeah, you know, I think that's what makes it. You know, if Kobe doesn't hit. That, that game winning shot or game tying shot game two it's a sweep it's a four game sweep I mean that's basically what it is so you know the Pistons the way they dismantled that team so easily uh, the next year after the three P I think that really diminished how great that Lakers run was and I think what people forget what the Bulls run is what Tyler just said it's it's eight years it's it's six and eight it's not two three peats it's it's like they had an eight year window where two of those years they probably could have won if Michael was you know a part of it. You know, the one year he's not there at all. The second year he's not even there, barely, you know, three quarters of the season in. So, you know, there's just a lot there that, that's going to be covered. And, I can't and, wait. And and like, I'm excited. I, like I talked about with the Scotty interview, who knows how long after the 98 season they could have went, kept going. I, yeah, I don't think it would have been much longer. No, it, I, mean, it, I, it, they, I think they would have won one and maybe lost one. But yeah, I, I think that I but think they, they could have won two more. I think they could have had one more year. I think for sure, uh, they they would have won the, the strike shortened season. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have gave them opportunity. Like, hey man, look at this. We're having a strike. We know what's coming because these guys all know those things are going to happen. They go, hey man, they're going to be a, there's going to be a strike here. We're going to be able to relax and we can get rejuvenated for one more year. But I think that the great thing about it is is just how look at they knew it was over. They knew it. The players already knew. Well, the we good thing know. for us is the documentary crew knew that it was over. And so they sent <laughs> yeah. this group out there to record what's going to occupy my next five Sunday nights. Yes, I can't wait. I mean, we're excited. We finally get a show to talk about it. Tyler has been really excited about it. So have I. So we'll, we'll do this. We'll, we'll go Monday every, you know, every Monday, 1230 or so. We'll, we'll bring this to your guys' attention. We'll, we'll highlight what happened on the show. Um, obviously, we're, we're really looking forward to it. You know, again, the last dance will be on ESPN on Sunday, 
nine o'clock, right, Tyler? The nine nine o'clock, and then I mean, obviously nine and ten because it's a ten-part series. They're breaking up into five segments, so it'll be two hours every Sunday night. It looks like so. Um, you know, this would be a good way for us to all kind of get our thoughts on something more uh, positive than what we're all dealing with. You know, we're all praying for all of you to stay safe. This is still an unprecedented time for all of us. But this will bring some happiness for sports fans. I'm really excited that ESPN did this. So uh, for Tyler Hayward, I'm Jeremy File. We will break this down every Monday. Again, The Last Dance, ESPN, tune in Sunday, uh, 9 p.m. The first part of the 10-part series will be this weekend, and we cannot wait to talk about it. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of good good stuff for us to watch. Hopefully some new stuff. So, uh, again, this is the Life of Ball Podcast. Tune in next Monday. Welcome to Life and Ball Podcast. We give your game life. We're going to stay on basketball today. And I can't find another person I'd rather talk some hoops with. I'm very excited about having this guest on our show. Emmanuel Bittman's from South Georgia runs a fantastic basketball program that is ProVision. And uh, thanks for coming on today, Emmanuel. we got a lot of hoops to talk today, man. But I really appreciate you coming on with us. No. Yeah. So, Emmanuel, you know, you obviously we were starting to talk, you know, about your program in Georgia, South Georgia, that is, you know, enlighten us, though, because I think it's kind of interesting what you're doing. And let us kind of know what your main uh, thing in your program is and in kind of what you do with teams and training. Hello. Yeah, are you still there, Emmanuel? Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I went in and out. I didn't hear the last thing you said. So, uh, basically, just, just kind of let us know what your program's all about in South Georgia. Uh, basically, uh, the name of our program is called ProVision Basketball. Uh, we, ha- we have um, AAU teams that's um, basically uh, ProVision Basketball and Hezzy Fam. Um, it's, kind of a, um, it's kind of our new thing we're doing down here. But um, ProVision basically is um, a program that um really reaches out to try to develop players uh really try to get them to the le- next level in that game understanding um big understanding fundamentals understanding um just the IQ of basketball which we think of which I feel like is missing a lot now um just because of I mean the game's so much more athletic now um guys are stronger faster all those things so um you know, I'm really big on uh, just kind of, you know, instilling real basketball fundamentals and, and those type of things. Oh, you're absolutely right. I think that's imperative what you just said, because I do agree with you 100%. I mean, I'm an old school guy like yourself. So part of me sometimes likes to fight the power that is uh, who's more athletic, who's stronger. Um, I'm probably the guy that's always going to say, yeah, I was a lot stronger and more athletic than these kids, but, <laughs> but probably not. I mean, these, these kids are more advanced with, with athleticism most of the time, but the fundamentals definitely are, are lacking in some areas. I mean, I think you see some, some kids that are very skilled, but I think skill is not just fundamentals. I think that's one thing people are missing that, you know, how to pass the basketball, how to move without the basketball. Um, those are basic fundamentals that, 
Um, I know that we will be teaching a lot of, but, uh, and then also using that athleticism and skill that these young kids have, because there's just so much talent. You're absolutely right. Um, talk about the talent out there in South Georgia, though, because, I mean, when we started talking, I mean, I was really blown away. There's, there's a ton of talent out there, and I've had a little experience in Georgia, but not out in your parts. Uh, mention some of the players you've worked with, because I know uh, I've seen some fantastic things you've posted, and, and talk about, you know, those players and, and what you see with the new age of players. Yeah, sure. Um, well, down here in South Georgia, man, I, I came here, I would say, I think it was about seven years ago. Um, I could be a little off, but um, when I first came here, I originally didn't come to stay. <laughs> I came um, due to a, a death in the family and, and came to kind of, you know, handle handle that. And when I got here, um, I started working with players and um, just you know, seeing that there really is great talent in this area, um, I was kind of appalled because not only do they have talent, but they got um, they have really good size down here. Um, so, um, you know, as when I first got here, I just really kind of started working, developing. Um, never had lived in the area. Um, found a few kids that you know really wanted to work. Or, or some of them found me. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but um, just to name a few, Destiny Thomas at um, Clemson, she, she's one of my favorite. I mean, put in a lot of work. Um, not um, Jordan Floyd right now, he's the number one um, scorer in the nation, D2, uh, playing for uh, King University. Um, Jordan Young, um, Worked a little bit um, with Alexander Johnson, who played at Florida State and played in the league. Um, me, him and I worked out more so after his career. Um, but, um, it, I mean, there's a lot of talent down in this area. Um, D'Antonio Wingfield is from this area. Not, don't know if you know much about him, but um, he's kind of the big – he is the big time. He is Mr. Albany, the big time player from down here. Um and I mean, there's LeVar Postel that played at um, St. John's. So, I mean, there, there's a list of players, list of talent down in this area. Um, and, you know, for me, it's just about bringing a different mindset to the area. Um, sometimes we can get stuck in our ways <laughs> Look, when we're from one area. And, you know, people from a different area just bring a different, um, I wouldn't say a different level, but they bring a different mind to the game. Than what you used to. Oh, sure. No, those are those are uh, great names. Number one, you mentioned, and, and number two, I, I think I I want to add this. I think a lot of the younger players that you have coming up can create their own legacy. I mean, I think with nowadays, you know, I think people really get excited about starting their own trend. They want to start their own uh, situation, and I think what you have going on with with ProVision out there is this, this is a beautiful opportunity for these younger kids to start their own new culture that is South Georgia basketball because I do think from what I've seen and watched with you guys you have a lot of talent a lot of talent and me being in Georgia there's a lot of big kids you're absolutely right there's some big (laughs) big strong athletic kids and football obviously you know Emmanuel you had a great post earlier about the amount of football players from Georgia that uh, are in division one uh what are they third are they third uh in the country right now I think is it what Texas Florida or maybe fourth uh you may Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I, 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 you had a great stat where there's a lot of there's over a thousand Georgia 
Division One football players, correct? I mean, I was just reading this that you posted, right? And and I just thought that that's what, I mean, you can ha- translate a lot of that football talent into basketball. I just posted something the other day where I thought football helped me, you know, a ton with basketball. So I think with Georgia, the amount of great talent you have in football, that can definitely correlate into basketball success. And I would hope that that's kind of like the next thing where football and basketball can kind of team up. I know there's always this, I lived in Texas and it's a battle in the fall with football coaches to want to get, you know, allow college or excuse me, basketball players to work out a little bit. Do you deal with a little bit of that struggle in Georgia? I mean, I know that's kind of a curveball question, but do you deal a little bit with that football versus basketball situation in Georgia? Oh my God. It's not, I would say, Look, we probably that's probably the biggest thing we deal with down in this area um, for those of us who are, um, you know, working with basketball. And, and that's kind of, you know, what we do. Um, football down here is huge. I mean, it's it, it's a lot of talent down here when you when you're talking about football. Um, we were talking about the bigger kids. Um, I think it's more so I think it's more so the coaches <laughs> rather yeah. than the. Kids, I mean, the kids will play both, um, and I think to a certain extent, uh, parent or coaches do have to protect their kids in in the sense that, um, you know, with football they're going through hell week and you yeah. know they do so many different workouts and that type of thing. Um, look, I, I have a football player right up uh, that's actually playing um, at Georgia Southern, Treon Pace, and uh, he was a really good basketball player uh loved basketball um sam darnold who's at uh uh playing at um for the new york jets played yeah. at US. um big time basketball fan big time basketball player uh had a chance to coach him for four years so um i think it's most times it's kind of like the coaches keeping the kids from doing it and again like i said i can understand but i just try to I try to focus on the basketball kids that are here. And there's so many kids that, you know, there's so many kids. If we really want to help and really want to develop and do those type of things, um, you know, look, football, football has its lane, but we have ours too. Yeah. Well, I think that's the reason why I mentioned it because it just kind of popped in my head before we went on is, you know, being in Texas, it was a huge struggle for me. Uh, you know, I ran a, a really big program in the summer in Texas. We had kids from all over the country. And what happened was when the fall came, our business shut down. I mean, it, it really was like, wow, you know, kids are getting kicked out of gyms. Uh, there was some major pullback. My whole thing was is basketball really can help football players. You know, if you look at someone like in, Antonio Gates, Antonio Gates was an NFL legend. Um, played at Kent State, only basketball. He was a basketball player in college. So Antonio Gates, the tight end for the Chargers, never played college football and sits here and plays basketball and the NFL wants him. So I think that football people need to realize how much basketball can help their players. And I just think of being in Georgia, what a great place for football, how we could really team up. We could really team up and, and make this work where, hey, some weekends, if there's some time, Hey, you know, we would like to have some of these kids that play football in the gym, working out, getting better. And it can also help him become more athletic, you know, more skilled, more talented. Because you just can't replace the skills that basketball teach. I mean, if you have great hands, you have great feet, you're going to be a really good football player. I mean, you're going to be able to catch, you're going to be able to run. And I think that, um, you know, out here in Michigan, Coach Harbaugh said a great statement one day. uh, There's not enough kids that, that play all sports. 
And I think that means all sports. I mean, I think football people need to realize that means basketball too. You know, we need football kids to play basketball, you know, more. So, you know, we're basketball people. We're always going to feel this way. But, you know, I, I do think it's important we're working together, especially in an area like that. It's so prominent in football. Um, basketball can only help. But, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this. I know, you know, we had mentioned it. That, you know, the Kobe Bryant thing was, was obviously uh, devastating to all of us. But you have something that's very special, being able to work with Kobe Bryant. You know, talk about that, Emmanuel, that you, you know, you had some experience working with Kobe Bryant. Talk about how that was kind of your start. Sure. Um, it was actually a, a program that Kobe Bryant, um, you know, he was always really into helping the kids and, and doing stuff for the kids, especially in Southern California. Um, but uh, it was a program he and his wife had started to, to help inner city kids and go around and train inner city kids for um, basically for free. And um, eventually, you know, after doing several cities of clinics and stuff like that, we were in the Venice area. We did L.A. at Dan Gazirik School, uh, used to play at UCLA, um, mainly in that inner city L.A. area and little outside. But um, what we did is we went around and did free clinics um, with other NBA trainers um, and work with kids and develop kids and try to find the kids who have the talent but may not have the finances and the things um, that it takes to um, to be on an AAU team or to be able to travel or those type of things. And um, it's funny because while I'm talking about it, I'm just kind of reminded of after his career was over, what he did, what he went and did. He went to work with uh, kids and work with his daughter and, and those type of things to you know, just develop, um, to keep developing basketball. And so, um, you know, that was kind of my first opportunity to really train and work with trainers. Uh, I had been doing basketball coaching, uh, which is how Nike heard about me and how I uh, re received the call to come be one of the trainers um, to help out with his program. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely a big step in in my I don't like to call it career, but in my and uh, me becoming you know a trainer and developing. I mean, I learned so much from guys like uh, Robbie Davis. Uh, Robbie actually tr is a trainer for Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, um, a lot of big names out there, James Harden. Um, and then uh, Rex Kalamian, who's also an NBA assistant, uh, just being able to work with those guys and that opportunity really took my training and development understanding to another level where I could um, really develop a kid and, and help him if he had what it took to, to play. You know? No, it's that stuff's amazing. I mean, it's amazing how well connected you are, and I think players need to grasp that. They really do. It's, it's funny that we had mentioned the Kobe stuff and, uh, you know, I know that you took a heart and all of us did, you know, especially because, you know, a lot of people um, followed his career. But mainly, I mean, if you're a skilled coach like yourself and myself, um, you know, you learn so much about him. So when I worked for I'm Possible Training, you know, nine years ago, uh, the, the owner of that company got to meet Kobe Bryant. I was a little disappointed I didn't get to go. But, uh, you know, he came back. He came back with some of the best things ever and said, wow, you know, Kobe Bryant was asking me questions which is shocking. Here's a guy that doesn't need to ask me anything. He's like probably the best player in the world right now. 
Uh, that, that said a lot to me. What that said was even the greatest players are still willing to learn. So I think it was kind of, you know, it was easy for him. He, he wanted to get into that skill development world. All the people that were higher ups in basketball mentioned how he always asked questions, which is just amazing to hear someone could be that humble, who's that great like Kobe. Um, but he'll be sorely missed. And it's just amazing how we're all kind of connected in basketball, though. Um, we know someone who knows someone. It's just kind of how it always works. But uh, yeah, getting to know you, Emmanuel, you know, I knew that you had that experience with him and that was pretty outstanding. Um, you know, I, I want to ask you because, you know, we talk a lot about skills coaching and I know that we would consider ourselves, like I said earlier, old school guys. What's one thing that you watch and you're kind of like, you know, I guess one thing you watch that you really enjoy with skills coaching and one thing that just drives you nuts with skills coaching You still on there, Emmanuel? I think we might have lost Emmanuel for a minute. I'll try to get him back on as soon as possible. So we're, we're talking about the, the topic that is um, skills coaching and, and what could uh, I have Emmanuel on now. So I'm going to talk about this first, Emmanuel, and then I'll let you touch on because I lost you for a second. So skills coaching, obviously, okay. me and me and uh, Emmanuel mentioned this a lot, that things that we wish were seen more. So I watch guys all the time, and I watch women that train as well. One of the things that I think is really important that we do as skills coaches is we provide defense. We provide um, physical contact. You know, you use the pads a lot. I know that's like things that I remember going against all the time as a player. Um, do you do you agree that that physical contact may be one of the best still? Um, you know, like, hey, I played a lot of one-on-one growing up. Full court, one-on-one. You got to beat the guy in front right. of you. Um, it's, it's great for conditioning. Um, I, I think that's important. Do you think that's one of the best things? And, and name a couple things that drive you crazy with skills coaching that people do. You're like, I wish they just didn't do that. <laughs> well, I'm like, uh, like you said, I'm big on fundamentals. Um, one thing that really drives me crazy, I'll start there with, um, with skills training, is to see a person training a kid. And um, number one, they're not sitting low to the ground on offense, but it's not low. We do, we working on all these moves. We working on all these change of directions and all this stuff. And we don't have our butt low. I mean, one of the things is center of gravity getting low so you can change directions, make sharper angles, stuff like that. Um, that that's something I'm a real stickler on. And then um, also the triple threat. I mean, how many kids do we see today training? And while they're training, and triple threat, they got the ball right in front of their stomach, yeah. in front of the players. All the face. time. I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, they, they don't even teach that no more. I mean, I got kids that entering varsity basketball that don't know that or been playing varsity basketball down here that, you know, they'll put it right in your face. And the defense know better because they won't take it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. know? So, yeah. But, uh, and so those are the things that really get to me Um. One of the things I really love to focus on and and teach is um, number one footwork. Um, that footwork and triple threat. I think if you talk to anybody in my program, from coaches to parents to kids, the one thing they'll tell you they hear the most is sit down and get in triple threat. Yeah. And 
I really believe until you learn that you haven't, you're you're never gonna, you're never gonna really be able to play without traveling, without, uh, you know, taking advantage of, you're never gonna be able to take advantage of players that actually are better skilled, better athletic, if you don't understand the full uh, method and full concept of the triple threat, you know? Um, Ball location. You know, you move a player with your ball when you're in triple threat. You know, you don't just keep a ball on one side and, you know, just little things like that. To me, those are things we shouldn't have to still be teaching, you know, at this at some of their age. But the truth of the matter is most of their coaches don't know it. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, some, of the, some of their trainers don't know it. And, you know, they or they just don't care because they've got caught and caught up into just the dribbling, just the shooting. I mean, we don't train on defense no more. I don't see a trainer out there training on defense, and I'm guilty of that, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So, no, um, I think we all need to add that. I mean, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I think that the hard part is, is how do you, you know, sell that? And parents need to realize that we're, you have to think outside the box for what you're paying for. Is you're going to get a full uh, training session. You're going to get full teaching, not just offensive teaching. Um, so I was able to provide a little bit of defense, but, um, you know, yeah, you know, I think that you being able to go against fear for me, if I have some of your players down there in South Georgia, they're gonna have to guard me. You know, I'm able to play a little bit and that's a way of them improving on their defense. So it's a one-on-one training. It's not like I'm trying to make the kid look bad. It's just, you know, I, I want to give them something to, to look at. They got to defend me. Um, and then we can stop them and, and, you know, evaluate where your hand should be. I should contest the shot all those things but I want to say this you you made some great points the triple threats just not mentioned one thing I started adding to my program because let's be honest these kids are different than us they want to dribble more you know they want to handle the ball Um, the game's changed there's five out offense you want to have really good ball handlers I used to always say dribble triple threat you know you got to be in a triple threat when you're handling the ball still where you're protecting you can pass you can drive you're in a position that's low like you're saying and you can shoot out of that position but really, we do need to go back old school still and say, look, when you catch the ball, catching the basketball is one of the things that nobody talks about. These kids have a really hard time catching the ball with two hands and pivoting and, and, and having the ball protected from good defense. What happens is when they play against better players, they get ripped. They get knocked off balance. Um, they're not able to create a play quick enough. Um, and, and when they get to the next level, they struggle because you don't have enough time. You know, if you can't triple threat at the next level, you know, you're four or five seconds sitting there wasting time and a coach is pretty much writing you off. <laughs> so there's a lot of things we could talk about just on that topic, but you're absolutely correct. Um, and it's something we'll teach well, all the time. Let me say one thing on that. One one of the things um, triple threat does also is you got to – players and parents have to understand – and even coaches have to understand what college basketball is all about. You know, what 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 is a college coach looking for? What is a college coach? If you don't know how to catch a ball and square up first, there's not too many college coaches that want you. No. You know, I want to say, look, you better be talented if you don't know how to catch a ball, pivot, and square up. Right. You know, so uh, how are we teaching kids the concept of basketball, square up, be in attack position attack put pressure on the defense 
um, each person on the floor so that, you know, everybody has to guard somebody and everybody's putting pressure on the defense, you know? Um, most times nowadays, you only got two players on the team that really trying to score. The other guys, they trying to stay out the way, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that's a big thing. How can we prepare them for college if we're not giving them the things college coaches and scouts are going to look for? Oh, that's a huge problem. And the one thing I started mentioning was is, you know, more about role, playing your role. And you're going to see a lot of time if you can do certain things. If you're a player who's a big player, especially nowadays, and you're able to catch, square up, dribble handoff, roll, uh, you are probably getting out of the way more times than that. But really, you're, you're stretching the defense out. But if you can't, you know, square up and catch and pivot, yeah, that defeats everything. So, you know, college coaches now, for people to understand this, they're looking for five guys to be able to catch and be in triple threat position. Back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, they, they, you know, you had two posts more times than not. Two posts who had their back to the basket, and they still had to have that great footwork to be able to reverse pivot baseline, make a post move spin, whatever it is. But they are starting facing the basket now. So you have to yeah. know how to catch more now than even our era where they're really wanting to see players with great footwork because – we right. want five guys to be able to catch the ball outside and pivot and be able to go by someone or make a move. Um, a prime <laughs> example is, you know, Nikolai Jokic, who's, you know, unbelievable passer. Everybody gets, you know, he gets notoriety for passing the ball. He can be away from the basket. He can pivot, dribble handoff, you know, pop, make a move. He feels really comfortable facing up with the basketball. And a lot of foreign players have yeah. that down. We're big guys at the foreign, you know, countries come over here and they can catch whether their backs to the basket or the face in the basket they really understand triple threat well they're being taught that where we probably teach a little bit too much dribbling hey I'm like the dribble guy everybody knows that you know but one thing I can definitely teach and I know you can is how to catch and pivot how to be in great triple threat so that's why we're, we're going to pretty much dominate uh, <laughs> but you know I think that's something I'm, that's why I'm excited about what we're going to do because there's a lot of things we can also do dynamic wise um so you know i want to ask you uh, you know the last thing we'll talk about is is kind of you though Emmanuel. because i mean i think people need to know you know where you start off because you mentioned you were from california right right you, yeah i'm um I'll... go ahead well let me let me ask you this so we this will be fun is california <laughs> oh, i shouldn't do this but you know what i, I know you won't care because you'll you know you you are who you are and you're, you're tough and you can handle this. Was California a place in basketball where you're like, wow, this is, this is the best place for basketball. Did you feel that way when you were there? Do you feel like California, <laughs> do you feel like it's like on a different level still, or is it, you think it's evened out or it's almost like widespread now? Well, I feel like, well, especially when I was there, I don't, um, I was there probably during Stanley Johnson's last two years um, in high school. Well, his whole four years in high school, Aaron Gordon. Um, so when I was there um, before I moved here, there was actually some pretty good players out in, out in that area. Um, of course, Coach uh, McKnight at Modern Day, he keeps some good players. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it was one of those things where there was, there was more – programs that were solid like I got a friend named Anthony Bolton out there and uh, 
and uh, I forget uh, the other guy's name who actually owns the program, but they own, um, I think it's called Game, Game, it's like Game Something. Game I can't Time. Isn't there right. a program called but, Game Time out there in California? Or... Yeah, Game Time. Big time program. I watched them come up from, I mean, not really. Uh, the guy who owns it is named Charlie. Charlie. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they have some really good programs with really good coaches and trainers, guys who know what they're doing, and they develop. I mean, I've seen them develop. I mean, the best of the best, and you know, put guys in all type of schools and stuff. Um, so for me, out there, I always felt like a guy who was really physical from the south to come out there and kind of dominate down yeah. low. Um, I don't think the physicality is on the same level as a, as the South, um, but I felt like um, the kids out there were in better shape, you know, more skilled, yeah. you know, um, because they run a different style of game. It was more shoot. I mean, nowadays, everybody in every state, they're getting skilled, you know, but back then it was like, okay, the muscle is in the South and, you know, the skill and, you know, the, the shooting and all that type stuff was out there. Um, but you know, I, I think there's ball players everywhere. Um, I think Georgia has really, in the past few years, just kind of um, become the mecca of basketball just because so many guys, um, the prep schools, and just different things like that out in this area. Um, Georgia basketball has really come up. I, in my eyes, I think they're number one right now. Um, but. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, no, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, honestly, I, I think it's competition. You want to have competition. And for me, um, I, I think it it's an attitude of basketball and you can start something anywhere. So when, you know, my goal is, if, especially if we work together out there, is the goal is to be the best place for basketball. I mean, I in South Georgia, you better bring it. You better be physical, skilled, talented, fundamental. Uh, you gotta have a great attitude, uh, which I think a lot of the Southern kids do come out with with a more of a um, uh, the better mannerism, I guess. You know, it seems like they're more respectful sometimes. I'm sure you get some kids that are not. That's anywhere, um, but I felt like when I was down south, yeah. I thought the kids were a little more respectful, uh, maybe a little more uh, listen to the coaching. Um, but I do think that styles of basketball do usually correlate with regions i mean i thought in the west coast it was it was fast break up and down let's let's try to score um you know it, it was a softer right. game where you know i was a more of a physical guard from the midwest from michigan um playing against kids from detroit you know playing against kids from chicago um you know kids from the midwest just play a little more of a gritty style of ball um if you watch the big big right. 10 basketball is <laughs> You know, if you watch a game in the Big Ten and you don't understand it, you're going to be like, well, they like look like they're killing each other out there. Um, it's just a very <laughs> physical brand of ball. So, you know, I was, I'm looking forward yeah. to bringing that piece because, you know, when you grow up and play against kids in the areas I just mentioned, you're going to have to be tough. I mean, if you aren't, you're going to yeah. get pushed around and you're not going to look like you belong. So that's what helped me, you know, being <laughs> from where I was from, it, it taught me that I had to be fearless. And I think that was the biggest thing I learned, you know, and, you know, Ohio has some really good basketball players, um, you know, and, and Michigan really has too. I mean, Michigan's got a long list of NBA players considering, you know, it's not a huge state. 
you know, I, I was so funny, Emmanuel, one right. day someone said, well, who's ever been good that came from Michigan? I said, uh, Magic Johnson, <laughs> you know, uh, Matt, <laughs> maybe the best point guard of all time, uh, you know, so it, that's just the one guy, but it was funny when a guy asked that. You yeah. can find great from anywhere. I mean, you really can. South Georgia, Michigan, California, you can find great players, but they have to have a lot of different things. It's the toughness, it's the skill, right. the fundamentals. You got to have a whole lot of it. And I know that you're going to bring that to the table, and I know I will too. Uh, the last question I got for you, um, you know, besides, uh, you know, I'll end, I want you to end and, and let people, you know, know where they can reach you at as well. But my last question is you is what's the big picture or the biggest goal for your program? What are you really looking for with ProVision? What is, what is this vision you have for it so people really understand it? Well, I mean, big picture, I, uh, big picture, I want to one day have our own provision um, training facility um, where we can train the full athlete in there. Um, we can um, really come in six, seven days a week if we wanted to um, and really work and get the train, um, develop the kids. Because uh, one of my things is I just feel like the kids don't really they're not in the gym enough nowadays like we know you know um i i think i don't think they build outside courts much anymore because it brings a crowd that i would say they don't want mm-hmm. you know uh, so i think they're missing the park and missing you know i mean how many guys took our ball and get off the court and you know, it was all in, in building us and in toughness. I mean, when you were the youngster, you couldn't get out there. Yep. They'd take you off the court. Yeah. And you learned how to play and so you learned how to catch, you know, all that type stuff. So for me, um, I, I need, I want my own facility because there's a certain temperament when you come through those doors. There's a certain level of expectation when you come through those doors in a certain environment that I want to build. Um, that you can't just build when you're in other gyms and using other gyms and stuff like that. So, um, you know, one thing with me is just come in the the gym with the mindset, um, ready to work, tough, hard-nosed, high energy, enthusiastic. um, And then, you know, having your own facility to provide, um, you know, then I can bring in players that came through ProVision and they can come in the summers and, have a place for them you know them to work and you know just make our other pro contacts and stuff where they can come there and train with the kids and then you know they have a facility to work with them where we're at you know so um just building you know building the kids developing the kids um seeing players one of the greatest things for me is seeing a kid that everyone thought wouldn't make it and and you know, just seeing the work they put in, a lot of people credit it to me, but I always tell them, um, I don't care what I know, what I say, what I tell you to do. If you don't do it, then you're not going to develop. You're not going to get better. Yeah. And so um, the, the kids still have to put in the work ultimately. And it takes a lot of sacrifice from kid and parent. Yeah. You know, so parents especially. Yeah, I hope parents hear that part. And you know, I, I know you're doing a great job, man. ProVision has a great vision. I mean, you guys really do. I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm hoping to to get out there and work with you soon. I mean, I just think there's a something huge. The one thing I want to add to that facility thing, because, 
you know, we both have talked so much about basketball, multiple different things. It would be really nice if you can have that facility open or whatever, you know, wherever it is, where even adults can come in and you can have a pro-am one day or you can have college kids playing and kids can watch that. You know, we've got a couple things out here in Michigan. We have a pro-am uh, called the Moneyball Pro-am. And, and obviously it's nice because it's right by Michigan State. That makes it a little easier. So you get a lot of Michigan State players to come in. <laughs> But you can do that with, you know, in, in many different areas, you know, have some adult playing. It could be a fellowship, a mentorship. Um, try to, uh, you know, you always worry about violence. You know, I know there was areas where I was coming up that were a little tough. And, you know, I have my own story of things that I've dealt with playing in a in an open gym atmosphere, or playing in a street ball court. Um, you know, you, you, right. you worry about those things. You made a great point. But I think us as adults, could really do a lot by making it a safe place also a safe facility a building where people come in of all ages really grasp your vision that is pro vision so i really i, I know it's going to happen for you man i have zero doubt but there's a lot of things that are going to keep coming into place um let, emmanuel let everybody know where they can follow you whether it's website or social media uh shout that out real quick so we all can understand where, where to look Okay, um, I know we're on uh, on the web at provisiontraining.org. Um, you could also find us on Facebook. Uh, it's like actually my name, Emmanuel Bibbins, and then um, also on Instagram. Uh, if you look up my name, Emmanuel Bibbins, it'll be uh, Provision Basketball um, there also. Uh, we're not on Twitter. Uh, look, it's hard for me to keep up with all these social I'll get you on Twitter, my friend. I'll <laughs> but, get you on Twitter. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah and and also you can reach out to us on phone number 760-453-9544 uh you can speak with felicia bivens or um or connie bivens they'll they'll they handle everything when it comes to scheduling training um teams uh people trying out for teams and just all that type of stuff we got we got a lot going on right now we 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 haven't talked about it's kind of new um the, the program definitely on the rise um, and so we're excited about just helping the South Georgia area and you know um, just building them to be able to compete be good young men have great character good grades all and young ladies too I know that you know I wanted to make sure you know have you guys knew that Emmanuel does work with girls and boys which is not common you know it's something I've been able to do a few other trainers I know Emmanuel does great with the girls when you look up his Facebook, Emmanuel Bivens, you know, you will see a lot of videos with girls training at like 5.30 in the morning, 6 a.m. And uh, he's getting <laughs> after it. They're not, it's no simple workout. So, hey, man, I, you know, I really appreciate coming on, man. I'm going to let you get going. But thanks again. I uh, hope you, uh, you know, we'll share this. We'll get people behind it. And I know I'm excited to get out there eventually. So, uh, you know, uh, again, thank you so much. We need more people like you uh to continue to train the youth so i greatly appreciate you my friend man i appreciate you and uh, uh just i want to shout out to my my new partners hezzy fam uh we working together with provision and uh we really doing some great things in the city of albany and uh just wanted to shout them out because those guys really helped me do what i do and um when i can't be i there, think hezzy fam so really just followed me um, and I just seen this guy and I'm like, wow, this guy has got some energy that I like because I've seen some videos oh, and yeah. I loved it. Man. I absolutely loved it. And that's the type of enthusiasm we need. So I'm, I'm excited to get to uh, I know you guys, all of you. And 
But hey, thanks again, man. I'll let you get going. Again, Pro Vision Basketball, look it up. And uh, some great things going on in South Georgia basketball.